Good evening. If you have your Bible, we're going to be in uh, Jeremiah 34, but you also probably ought to flip over to Jeremiah 37. They are very much intertwined. And um, if you remember, when we had our last Bible study back in June, we were finishing up the uh, 33rd chapter of Jeremiah, uh, the city of Jerusalem is being um, besieged, and if you remember, they're tearing down their own houses to try to build barricades and things to fortify the city. And uh, we talked there uh, in chapter 33 about the fact that God's promises um, are true even in difficulties. And we talked about how God's promises are faithful in circumstances. We looked at God's promises are permanent. We looked at how all God's promises are truly fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. And so uh, we really talked about that a lot. And so I think that is a really significant chapter to remember. But today's chapter is is something that I think a lot of you are going to um, nod your head when I say this. But how many times have you seen someone, when difficulties come, run to God? Uh, really make a commitment. And then as soon as the circumstances improve, their commitment to God no longer matters. Uh, We see that in Jeremiah 34. Uh, What happens in Jeremiah 34 and 37, we're going to skip 35 and 36 till uh, two weeks from now, um, because it jumps around time-wise. the nation of Egypt decides that they are going to come to war against Nebuchadnezzar. And as their armies are leaving Egypt, coming north, um, the Babylonians pull away. Um, Nebuchadnezzar pulls away from Jerusalem, as any good military commander would, and begins to fortify cities in southern Israel, southern Judah. And it is for the purpose of a strong Egyptian army is coming. The children of Israel are pretty much a defeated enemy. And so he pulls them back from the siege and prepares for war. Well, something happens when something like that happens, right? They go from begging Jeremiah for a word from God. They they go from begging God to intervene. And so in verses 1 through 10, and I want to show you this uh, tonight, we see how this unfolds. And so tonight I want you to think about this in your own life and to pray for those who have done the same thing. Starting in verse 1. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all of his army, all the kingdoms of the earth under his domain, and all the people fought against Jerusalem and all its cities, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Go and speak to Zedekiah, king of Judah, and tell him, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will give this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall burn it with fire. And you shall not escape from his hand, but shall surely be taken and delivered into his hands. Your eyes shall see the eyes of the king of Babylon. He shall speak with you face to face, and you shall go to Babylon." Yet hear the word of the Lord, O Zedekiah king of Judah. 
Thus says the Lord concerning you, You shall not die by the sword. You shall die in peace, as in the ceremonies of your fathers and former kings who were before you. So they shall burn incense for you and lament for you, saying, Alas, Lord, for I have pronounced the word, says the Lord. Then Jeremiah the prophet spoke all these words to Zedekiah, king of Judah, in Jerusalem, when the king of Babylon armies fought against Jerusalem and all the cities of Judah that were left against Lachish and Azekah, for only these fortified cities remained of the cities of Judah. Now I want you to hear the significance of this, and I want to just stop here for a moment. This is significant for two reasons. First, Zedekiah was put on the throne by Nebuchadnezzar. He was picked and put on there because he was thought to be someone who would take orders, who would not lead Israel into rebellion against the Babylonians. And so I want you to think of it like this. And um, it's kind of like if you were to train your employee at work, invest in them for years and years and years, and then they betray you, get you fired and take your job. Now that is a significant thing, but what happens here is um, Zedekiah realizes through this prophecy that the guy who instilled me is the most powerful man on the face of the earth and I'm getting ready to have to answer for what I have done. Now, in this context, we're looking at two non-saved people, okay? But it also happens in our life. I can tell you that uh, when you uh, watch someone come to the Lord, when you watch them grow in their faith, when you invest in them, whether it's at work, whether it's at church, whether it's in your personal life, when that moment of betrayal comes, it's one of the hardest things we'll ever deal with. It's one of the hardest things you will ever do with. Not alone if it's in marriage or one of your children, but it's this idea of this individual was put there for a purpose and then he has led a rebellion. And I want you to hear the significance of this punishment because you might think this is not so bad. What happens to King Zedekiah, as we're going to look at later, he is taken captive, he is taken to Babylon, and this is his punishment. They kill his sons before him and then pluck out his eyes. And so the rest of his life, the last image that he ever sees is the death of his children. And Jeremiah is just telling him all this. You're not going to die by the sword. You're going to have to live with this for the rest of your life. And so it's this idea of things are bad. Right? If that was your prophecy, right? If you were going to betray someone and then have to stand in front of them, if you were going to have to have this punishment happen to you, it would be an overwhelming odd. And so I want you to hear that because I want you to see the response of what has happened in all of this. So we see God's warning if you're taking notes tonight. We see false repentance. False repentance. Look what it says here in verses 8. Through 11. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord after King Zedekiah had made a covenant with all the people who were at Jerusalem to proclaim liberty to them, that every man should set free his male and female slave, 
a Hebrew man or woman that no one should keep a Jewish brother in bondage. Now when all the princes and all the people who had entered into the covenant heard that everyone should set free his male and female servant slaves, that no one should keep them in bondage anymore, they obeyed and let them go. So if you are familiar with the days of the Old Testament, there were uh, some ways that someone could get into slavery. Uh, if you were a thief and had no property to pay back what was stolen from you, you could be taken into slavery. If you were uh, poor and had nothing to offer, you could sell yourself into slavery. But the thing about slavery in the Jewish faith was it was not permanent. There was a period of time that all slaves had to be set free. And what happens is Zedekiah realizes when the pressure was on, when the enemy was surrounding them, that we probably ought to let them go. God doesn't want us to keep our brothers in slavery. But what something happens in verse 11 in the context of Jeremiah. In chapter 34, verse 11, that is when the armies of Babylon pull back from being at war with them and go to fight the Egyptians. And so what happened is these people who didn't think they should have slaves realized when the enemy was gone that we still need them. And I say that for two reasons. One, as a slave owner, it was their responsibility to feed them, to care for them, to provide them. And when your city is under siege and you have no food and you have no medicine and you have no way of getting things in and out, it is easier to set them free, let them worry about themselves. But when the siege ended and you could get food from the outside in, or if you wanted to rebuild your house that you had just tore down, or you needed to restore your vineyards and gardens that had been destroyed, guess what you need? Someone to do the work. And so listen to what it says here in verse 11. But afterward, they changed their minds and made the male and female slaves return whom they had set free and brought them into subjection as male and female slaves. You see, friends, that is really what we see in so many people's lives. When pressure's on, man, they will be at church. They'll be at church Sunday night. They'll be at Bible study Wednesday night. They'll be at prayer time. They'll be at cottage prayer meetings. But as soon as the danger is gone, right? As soon as the marriage is, is back on solid footing, they're back living to however they did. And so tonight I want you to know that this is not a new problem. It is a problem that is as old as man. That people want to be delivered from the immediate consequences, but don't really have a heart change to God. And so what we've seen here in chapter 34 is, we see that the warning is there. We see that repentance doesn't really happen. And then we see God's response in verse 12. Therefore the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I made a covenant with your fathers in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, saying, At the end of seven years, 
Let every man set free his Hebrew brother who has been sold to him. And when he has served you six years, you shall let him go free from you. But your fathers did not obey me, nor incline their ear. Then you recently turned and did what was right in my sight, every man proclaiming liberty to his neighbor. And you made a covenant before me in the house which is called by my name. Don't miss this tonight. What you make as a covenant before God matters. It might not matter to other people. It might not matter when you are up or down. But God does not forget the covenants and promises that we make to Him. Look what it says here in verse 16. Then you turned around and profaned my name. And every one of you brought back his male and female slaves whom you had set at liberty at their pleasure and brought them back into subjection to be your male and female slaves. So he does what God does. He reminds them that this is not the first time this has happened. He is calling judgment on the nation of Israel. He's saying this has been going on for generations. And he says, you tried to make it right, but you really didn't. And friends, tonight I really want to challenge you in your walk with the Lord. I really want to challenge you. How many times do we say things like that? Well, today, I promise, Lord, I'm going to allow the Spirit of God to control my tongue and I'm going to not speak the things that I shouldn't speak or, Lord, I know today in my heart I'm going to forgive or, or whatever that commitment you make to the Lord is and then by noon you're thinking, man, man, I wish I hadn't done that. Because look what it says here in verse 17 because God lays out the punishment for this. Therefore, says the Lord, you have not obeyed me in proclaiming liberty. Every one of his brother and every one to his neighbor, behold, I proclaim liberty to you, says the Lord. You think, wow, but don't miss this. To the sword, to pestilence, and to famine. And I will deliver you to trouble among all the kingdoms of the earth. God says what should have been freedom and liberty for these people has turned into bondage, so He will liberally give to them the sword, pestilence, and famine. It's an overwhelming thought. But look what it says here in verse 18. And I will give the men who transgressed my covenant, who have not followed the words of the covenant which they made before me when they cut the calf in two and passed between the parts of it, the princes of Judah, the princes of Jerusalem, the eunuchs, the priests, and all the people who passed through the parts of the cast. I will give them into the hand of their enemies and into the hand of those who seek their life. Their dead bodies shall be for meat for the birds of heaven and for the birds of earth, beasts of earth. And I will give Zedekiah, king of Judah, and his princes into the hand of their enemies, into the hand of those who seek their life, and into the hand of the king of Babylon's army, which has gone back from you. Behold, I will command, says the Lord, and cause them to return to this city. Do not miss the significance of verse 21 and 22. They will fight against it and take it and burn it with fire. I will make the cities of Judah a desolation without inhabitant. 
Why do you think God turns this around and adds verses 21 and 22? Because the children of Israel had thought they got away with it. They're like, this army was here. The Egyptians have come to save us. We don't have to worry about God. We don't have to worry about God's judgment. But look here in verses 21 and verses 22. And it starts back in verse 19. It is referencing all those people who would have been high and mighty. Right? Those people who thought they could buy their way out of trouble. Those people who thought, well, they maybe could sneak out and get away. He starts at the top of the list and says, when God declares judgment, no one avoids it. Look there in verse 21. And I will give Zedekiah, king of Judah, and his princes into the hand of their enemies, into the hand of those who seek their life, and into the hand of the king of Babylon's army, which has gone back from you. He doesn't say, Nebuchadnezzar's going to get you. He says, I'm going to. And friends, when God's judgment comes, it is God that brings it. And as Christians, we need to be reminded that we have been spared from eternal judgment because of what Jesus Christ did for us. You are a child of God. You are covered by the blood. But friends, when those people who die without Jesus Christ, it is not some uh, low-level angel that's going to be giving judgment to them. No, it is going to be God Himself who says those words, Depart from me for I never knew you. It's not a, a, well, I didn't make it, so maybe I won't get as much judgment. No, those who defy God will stand before God and will face the judgment of God. Because look what it says in verse 22. Behold, I will command, says the Lord, and cause them to return to this city. God says, they've left, but I'm bringing them back. Not only am I bringing them back, I am commanding them back. Because if you're a child of, of a Jewish person at this time, you're saying, Jeremiah didn't know what he was talking about. God didn't know what he was talking about. There is no reason to fear. And if you've ever seen something like this, all the false prophets, and there was a bunch of them, would have been saying what? Jeremiah didn't know what God said. Jeremiah didn't speak for God. And can you imagine Jeremiah as he's been telling them, judgment's coming, and there they go. Now, I think it's significant because Jeremiah is being made aware of this, and Jeremiah trusts God in his judgments that he's given. But how many times does it seem to work that way in life? Right? You do what you're supposed to do, you do the right thing, you, you have all the accountability, but yet someone goes around and says all kinds of things that aren't true, and and people listen to it and believe it, and they're like, see, I told you! Right? Don't forget that just because things don't seem to be working in your favor today does not mean that God has been unfaithful. I have pastored long enough now to hear every possible rumor that you could ever hear about a church, about a pastor, and everything in me, when I'm sitting at Ferris's or I'm walking through Fred's, this is what happens. Well, let me tell you what really happened. I would love to share with you all the gory details. I would love to. Not a problem. And in my flesh, oh boy, I could tell it. But God has to remind me and say, you shut your pie hole. Because I'll take care of it. And friends, I am telling you 
I am telling you, I'm telling you that just because it seems to be going against you does not mean that God has turned against you. Doesn't matter if it started here in Zedekiah, someone who was put there for a purpose. Doesn't matter who it do, is that's doing it to you. It doesn't matter who it is that's betrayed you. It doesn't matter what has gone on. Remember that even when it seems that everything has went against you, that God has not. Because right now, Jeremiah's got to be thinking, I'm the only one who's been faithful. Remember, Jeremiah's the only one who has been telling them that judgment's coming. And the guy that's been saying it is saying, there's the judgment outside the walls. People were listening then. People were believing Jeremiah. Right? Zedekiah is asking, what is God saying? What is God saying? And as they start to leave, Jeremiah's thinking, whoo. The people are thinking, see? Told you Jeremiah was a crazy person. I told you Jeremiah didn't know what he was talking about. But that's why I want to take you to chapter 37. Because I really want to show you today how to stay faithful even when you stand alone. How to stand faithful even when you stand alone. But here in verse chapter 37, I want to just walk through this because I want to show you how this has unfolded. In verse 1 it says... Now King Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, reigned instead of Coniah, the son of Jehoiakim, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, made king in the land of Judah. So here he is, we're getting the backstory of Zedekiah, that Nebuchadnezzar had put him on the throne. And we're getting ready to look at this treachery and why it was such a big deal. Made him king in the land of Judah, but neither he nor his servants nor the people of the land gave heed to the words of the Lord, which he spoke by the prophet Jeremiah. And Zedekiah the king sent Jehuchal, the son of Shulmiah, and Zephaniah, the son of Messiah, the priest, to the prophet Jeremiah. Now I want to stop right there. They have ignored everything Jeremiah said. It literally says here they've not listened. No one has. Not his servants. No one but yet he goes back to Jeremiah again. Why do you think that is? All I can tell you is what I think. I think it's because the king said, well, let's hear what Jeremiah's got to say now. Maybe a little gloating. Maybe a little rubbing it in Jeremiah's face. We don't know for sure. But listen to what it goes on and says. Pray now to the Lord our God for us. Now Jeremiah was coming and going among the people, for they had not yet put him in prison. Then Pharaoh's army came up from Egypt, and when the Chaldeans who were besieging Jerusalem heard news of them, they departed from Jerusalem. So this is unfolding now. Then the word of the Lord came to the prophet Jeremiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Thus you say, shall say to the king of Judah, who sent you to me to inquire of me. Behold, Pharaoh's army, which has come up to help you, will return to Egypt to their own land. And the Chaldeans shall come back and fight against this city and take it and burn it with fire. Thus says the Lord. Do not deceive yourselves, saying the Chaldeans will surely depart from us, for they will not depart. 
For though you have defeated the whole army of the Chaldeans who fight against you, and there remain only one wounded man among them, they would rise up every man in his tent and burn the city with fire. Now, I hope you caught the significance of this. Because God is responding because the king wanted an answer. And he tells them, that army that you are putting all your hope in and all your trust in and all your faith in is going back the same way they came. They're not going to win. They're not going to be victorious. And I want to show you this today because I really think it is important. It does not matter how much strength of this earth that you have. When God has made a decree, it is unmovable or immovable. Which unmovable? Any whichever one it is. Yeah. Yeah, not going to move. That's even better. And so many times I have to be reminded of that. As a pastor, I have to be reminded of that. As a father, I have to be reminded of that. As a husband, I have to be reminded of that. Because so many times it seems like so much is against us, right? The people that we trust betray us. The, the, the church that, that we thought could never struggle, struggles. The people in our life that we've always been close to, we're no longer close to. The, the health that we thought would never wane, wanes. Is that wane? Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, that's it, the way it is. And what God says here is, it's very, very important. Look here. Do not deceive yourselves in verse 9. It is the greatest lie that Satan gets us to believe that God really won't judge, right? There is no hell. Sin has no consequences. You have tomorrow. Don't worry about it today. We deceive ourselves. And we do that as individuals, right? My pride won't affect my, me and my family, right? Or, or my desire to do other things on Sunday won't affect my children, Right? My desire to say this or go there or do this. I know I shouldn't, but there won't be consequences for me. I think all of us can do that. Every single one of us deceive ourselves to believe that yes, I know that happens to everybody else, but it won't happen to me. Right? How many politicians get in trouble stealing money or whatever, and when they get caught, what do they always say? I never thought I'd get caught. Right? Or when a situation that's being hidden and, and covered, when it finally all comes out and someone says, I just never thought it would come out. But look here in verse 10 because I want to see one of my favorite Old Testament verses. For though you had defeated the whole army of the Chaldeans who fight against you, and there remained only one wounded man among them, they would rise up every man in his tent and burn the city with fire. God says if there was one wounded, crippled soldier left, you couldn't win. I don't know about you, but I felt like one wounded, crippled soldier many times in my walk with the Lord. I have. I have felt that way as a pastor. I feel that way as a father sometimes. I'm thinking, am I the only whipping boy out here? But I want you to, to think about verse 10. Because God, it's negative for the children of Israel, right? Because them, it's there is no hope. You cannot stop what is coming. 
You can't. But if I was one of the Chaldeans, I would think that's the side I want to be on. And I think that's why the Bible says that the Lord is greater than anyone else, right? That's why the Bible says, if the Lord be for us, who could be against us? And we think about that. And, and no offense, ladies, you, you put it on a, a board that's got pretty cursive and you put it in your bathroom, right? I don't know why people put that in their bathroom for, but they just do, right? Or you walk into their kitchen, right? And it's like, how bad is your cooking? But, uh, you know, I mean, geez, if the Lord be, you know. Um, but it's, it is truly, you and I have to believe this. That right there is nothing that Satan can do to me. There is nothing that this world can do to me. There is nothing that can overcome what God is trying to do in my life. It just can't. There is nothing that this world can do. There is nothing that Satan can do to overcome what God is trying to do in your marriage. What God is trying to do in the church. And that doesn't mean that we're like Joel Osteen, that everything... I don't know if you've heard this or not, but the joke was that they were going to put Joel on the television out there in the lobby so they could hear some good preaching. And so if you come in one Sunday and I've thrown the remote through the television, that's what happened. But uh, no, that's, that's not what we're teaching because so many times people think, well, if that's the case, then I can get whatever I want. I can accomplish whatever I see fit to. I can name what I want and I can claim it. But that's not what it's teaching here. What it is teaching is when God is directing your path, when God has commanded you to do something, even if it is, in this case, the Chaldeans destroying the children of Israel, that when God has commanded it, when God is with it, there's nothing that can change it. And that should give us great hope. I think Jesus said something like that about the church prevailing, right? Anybody ever heard that in the New Testament? Something will not prevail against the church? Right? But yet we think about that in our culture, right? Well, we're losing everything. We seem to be losing the battle on marriage. We seem to be losing the battle on, uh, on uh, same-sex uh, relations. We keep, seem to be losing the battle in gender. We seem to be losing the battle on every one of these fronts, right? It seems that way, but yet, huh? The church remains, the church remains and we have to quit pulling back and believing that there is not a purpose for us to be here. We have to continue to have vacation Bible school and share the gospel. We need to continue to have services where we preach the gospel and invite people to be saved. We need to continue to train you to share your faith at work. That way you can continue to talk to people about what Jesus Christ has done for you and can do for them because the Lord, if He was done with us, if the Lord was done with His church, something would happen. It's an R word. It's one of my favorite words in Rapture. If the Lord was done with His church, you wouldn't be here. He would take us home to be with Him. And so, I just think that's really significant in verse 10. Terrible for Israel, right? I mean, literally, they would be getting beat, all of their armies, by a one-legged man in a butt-kicking contest, okay? That's pretty much what it's saying there, right? You know, you know that's, that's how bad it is. But I want to show you verse 11. And it happened. Don't miss the significance of those three words. God said it, and it happened. And friends, sometimes it happens when you think it will. Sometimes it doesn't happen until much later. But if God has said it, 
Those three words will always be true. And it happened when the army of the Chaldeans left the siege of Jerusalem for fear of Pharaoh's army, that Jeremiah went out of Jerusalem to go into the land of Benjamin to claim his property there among the people. And when he was in the gate of Benjamin, a captain of the guard was there whose name was Irijah, the son of Shelemah, the son of Hananiah. And he seized Jeremiah the prophet, saying, You are defecting to the Chaldeans. Then Jeremiah said, False, I am not defecting to the Chaldeans. But he did not listen to him. So Jeremiah, like everyone else, when the siege was gone, when the enemies were gone, went out to assess the damage, right? To assess where they lived, to assess what things were going on. But I want you to see the significance of this. Were there people who were defecting? Absolutely. It has been true in every war that has ever been fought. The losing side, there are people who become traitors. But Jeremiah wasn't. But yet this person, for whatever reason, most likely his hatred for Jeremiah, his hatred for the things that Jeremiah have spoke, makes this accusation. And so many times as Christians we would think, well, it's not true, so it won't stick. But it isn't true, and it what? It does stick. And listen to what goes on and happens. So Erajah seized Jeremiah and brought him to the princes. Therefore the princes were angry with Jeremiah and they struck him and put him in prison in the house of Jonathan the scribe for they made that the prison. Now I don't know if you're familiar with the New Testament or you read your Bible very much but there's probably a story that sounds very similar to that about false accusations and bringing a man before the rulers of the day and beating him. Any suggestion on who that might be? Jesus. Apostle Paul. And so many times as a Christian, when people make false accusations against us, it is so easy to say, God, you, you've got to fix them now. Right? You can't let anything happen. But that's not how God always works. Jeremiah was beaten and he was thrown in prison. Jesus was beaten and ended up on the cross. Paul was beaten numerous times and ended up in Rome. And so I want you to see this because Jeremiah is literally the only person that we read about in the book of Jeremiah that is faithful until the end. But yet his life was full of heartache and it was full of all of these things that we as Christians feel like should never happen to us. What does the Bible say in the Beatitudes and around that area of the New Testament when it talks about persecution, when they falsely accuse you? Right? Blessed are you, right? And so the idea of the results determining our faithfulness are not found in Scripture. The results of your ministry are not found in what people see. But it's what God declares to be faithful. It doesn't matter what the world says is a successful marriage. It matters what God says is a successful marriage. It doesn't matter what the world says is a successful career. It's being faithful to what God has called you to be. It doesn't matter 
uh, what the world has heard about you or what the community thinks about you. It's what God says about you. But you might be thinking like I'm thinking. Because in the New Testament it says to live in a manner that when people make false accusations against you, that it doesn't stick, right? You can read those along with the pastoral qualifications in 1 Timothy 3, Titus chapter 1, and some other writings of Paul. And so how does that happen? How does that happen if it says to live in such a way that when people make false accusations against you, no one believes it? It's just a general principle. You can live and be kind to people and be faithful to people and the first opportunity they get, they can believe the most ignorant lie that has ever been told. And you say, Jake, but I lived this way and I did these things. It's the way it is. All you are responsible for is being faithful. All you as a family are responsible for is being faithful. All we as a church can do is be faithful. Because look what it says in verse 16. When Jeremiah entered the dungeon and the cells, and Jeremiah had remained there many days, then Zedekiah the king sent and took him out. The king asked him secretly in his house and said, Is there any word from the Lord? Now, some might say that this is a chance for the king to to rub this in Jeremiah's face, but I don't believe that. I believe that Jeremiah has been right enough that even Zedekiah realizes that God speaks to him and God speaks through him. Zedekiah's problem was, I believe he didn't care to hear what God had to say when it was positive, but he didn't want to hear from God when it was what? Negative. And friends, you say, well, I can't believe Zedekiah would be that way. We're the same way. I can guarantee you, and you can track it for as long as I've been here. Brother John used to talk about it. You can preach certain sermons, and you can guarantee there will be people that will stay home Sunday night because they're mad. It It happens, right? It might be on a certain sin that they struggle with. Well, I can't believe he talked about that. I'm staying home. Yeah, you better stay at home and moving on doing something else. But, but I can tell you that over and because all of us want to hear the good things that God has to say to us, but none of us like correction. None of us. We harden our, uh, our hearts. We, I, can't, I can't tell you the times. And, and if you do this, this is between you and the Lord, I don't care. But uh, I can start a sermon and someone will be smiling and they'll be giggling after you know, uh, the song service. And there'll be some kids in the row in front of them. They'll be looking and talking. And as the sermon goes on, that smile just goes to this. Now, a lot of times it's because the sermons are long. I get that, okay? And some people don't smile from the time they get here to the time they leave. That happens a lot too. But it just you can see it on their face. And just a, a word of advice. If you can see me in the sanctuary, guess what? I can see you, not as well because my vision is not very good, but I can see you. So if you're picking your nose and you can see me picking my nose, it goes both ways. Uh, sometimes the kids used to sit up in the balcony and try to, to sneak around and do things they shouldn't do. And if I can see you and you can see me, it goes the same way. And, um, but I can tell you, it happens that way. And that is why you are seeing in the, the Christian Church of America today 
or what claims to be the Christian church of America today, a flocking to the what? Prosperity gospel. Right? Because it is all about you getting what you want. You getting more and more of the things you want. But yet, we also have to recognize that there has to be sermons on repentance, sermons on sin, sermons on judgment. Now, that shouldn't be the only thing, right? I think a lot of the old-time preachers, so that's all they talked about, right? And there's a balance, right, that God loves you and died for you and cares about you, but God also is a, is a holy and righteous God, and, and He will wipe you off the face of the map if He sees fit. And I think there's a balance in there. Because listen to what it goes on and says here. And Jeremiah said, there is. Then he said, you shall be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon. Moreover, Jeremiah said to King Zedekiah, what offense have I committed against you, against your servants, or against this people that you have put me in prison? Where now are your prophets who prophesied to you, saying... The king of Babylon will not come against you or against this land. Therefore, please, hear now, O my lord the king. Please, let my petition be accepted before you. And do not make me return to the house of Jonathan the scribe, lest I die there. Then Zedekiah the king commanded that they should commit Jeremiah to the court of the prison, and they should give him daily a piece of bread from the baker's street until all the bread in the city was gone. Thus Jeremiah remained in the court of the prison. Now I know we're almost out of time, but I want to show you something that is very significant, I think, here in these last few verses. It is not sin to ask that God delivers you from whatever you're going through. Because some of us feel like, well, I, I shouldn't pray for relief because, because the, the, whatever I'm going through, I should just go through it. And I understand that. But what does Jeremiah do here? He says, please do not send me back there. Jeremiah wasn't scared of persecution. Jeremiah wasn't going to be unfaithful. But he makes a request. It's just like we looked in chapter 33. Um, if you were here or if you were not here... Um, it starts out uh, in verses 1 through 3, God telling the children of Israel something. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time while he was still shut up in the court of the prison, saying, Thus says the Lord who made it, the Lord who formed it, to establish it, the Lord is His name, what? Call to me. And I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. You see, in the book of Esther, we see the very same thing, right? God allows Esther to be elevated to the position that she is. And the time comes and Mordecai says, Don't think you're going to escape this judgment. Don't think that if you try to hide it, you're going to make it. Perhaps that you have been, right? put here for a time as this. And so she goes to the king and asks for him to come to a banquet, right? And to come to a banquet and then to spare the Jewish people. And then they do. And then what happens, right? Then eventually the person who's out to kill the Jewish people is hanged on the same gallows that he has built. And then she goes on and, and continues and he continues to grant her her request. 
And so we see here that it's not wrong to pray for God to work and move in your situation. You have to be okay, though, when God says no. Because... Mm-hmm, absolutely. 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 Because if Jeremiah quit when God didn't answer his prayers the way he wanted to, Jeremiah would have stopped in the book of chapter 37. But it doesn't. Jeremiah continues to minister faithfully for the rest of his life. And most of us quit when we don't get what we want. Right? We quit in, and today in our, in our marriages. We quit our jobs. We quit our churches. We quit our relationships. If we don't get what we want, we just quit. But don't let that be said about your relationship with the Lord. Because God says there in chapter 33, Call to me and I will what? Answer. Right? That is a special word that we overlook sometimes, right? Now, if, if you know this about my wife, um, I have no idea why I pay for her to have a phone. I do not know because she never, ever answers it. Now, it's usually not her fault. I will give her credit because usually seven kids or six kids have... <laughs> have played with it all day and it's dead, okay? Well, usually my nephews were there sometimes, and so they, anyway, but it's dead, right? And they played on it and played on it and played on it, and I call, and I call. And, and I don't know if you know this or not, but the more I call, the more my blood pressure goes up, right? Because I know not to call just to talk at home. Because, right, when I call just to say, how are you doing? It's usually, well, I got one kid on my leg, and I got one kid that's vomiting, and I got one kid that's screaming because she cut her leg, and one kid's got bit 72 times by mosquitoes. I'm like, just being a bother, I'll just talk to you later, right? So when I call, it is usually because I need something, right? And if you know how needy I am with her, I call a lot anyway, okay? And I call, and I call, and if I really need something, I just go ahead and call my mom. I'm like, is there any way that you're at home? Well, yes. Do you care to make the long half-mile track over to my house and tell my wife to please call me? And my wife knows when my mom walks in, unannounced usually, because always she calls and says, hey, I'm coming over. She goes, what's Jake want? Right? Because she knows that I've called and I've called and I've called. But it's that idea. It's frustrating. And many times in our relationship with God, it seems like that's the way it is, right? We can pray about something and we pray about something and we pray about something and we just don't feel like anything is happening at all. But friends, God said, call and he'll what? Answer. And so it might not be as quick as you want. It might not be the answer that you want. But just like my mom taking that phone to my wife, which I had to do that today, by the way, they were swimming at her house. I called my mom and she goes, Tony already knows that her phone is left at home. And I said, not a problem. Just wanted to ask a quick question, right? But so many times we feel that way. But friend, it's not. Because we have a high priest who takes our request and intercessions before the Father. But the Bible also says that the Spirit of God in the book of Romans, one of the most misinterpreted passages of Scripture that I see in today's church, is that the Holy Spirit, when you do not know what to pray, when you cannot utter the words, takes your request and makes that intercession to God. There is not a time when you pray 
in God's will and for God's purposes that He does not answer. It just doesn't happen. Now, there are Bible verses that talk about our sin hindering our prayer and things like that. And that's a whole lot bigger discussion than we have for six minutes, okay? But God says, call to me and I will answer. It's kind of like when He says that all who call upon the name of the Lord, what? Shall be saved. And so it's this... Absolutely. Absolutely. Jeremiah didn't get it. Jeremiah went back to prison, right? I pray all the time that I don't be fat, but I just keep eating and the Lord just keeps letting me put it on. I told someone today I'm heavier than I've ever been and I'm happier. So I don't know if it's a correlation, but maybe. But, um, <laughs> but anyway, Jeremiah 34, Jeremiah 37. And, uh, and so remember that God knows whether it's real repentance or false repentance. God's will and purposes in your life will be accomplished even if you are a one wounded man against overwhelming odds. And to remember that it's God who we will all answer to.